Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Okay, I'm so excited to have Stella Levy today on the Arthritis Life Podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yay. Can you just let uh, the listeners know where do you live and what is your relationship to arthritis or chronic illness? Um, currently, I live in LA and I've had, um, I say RA, but it's not. I have uh, spondyloarthritis and I had it since I was 15. So I was first diagnosed with JRA. Okay, that's right. And then um, what, how old are you now, if you don't mind sharing or range? Oh, I'm 31 now. So it's been about 16 years with rheumatic disease. Okay. So you're kind of like me where you're at the half of your life point because yeah. mine was 21 to 40. I'm now 41. So yeah, that's yeah. a whole um, strange thing to wrap your mind around. <laughs> but I would love to know like your diagnosis story slash saga with, yeah. um, with spondyloarthritis. Yeah, I feel like it's pretty long, but if we just do the spark notes of it and then kind of go yeah. through when I was 15 and a half ish years old, I got strep throat and then I took antibiotics. And then after strep, um, like a week and a half later, my knee blew up and we went to the doctor and they were like, I don't know. It went away naturally. And then I got strep throat again. And then my knee blew up again. And then I got it a third time all in the same year within like six months. And at that point, it didn't really go down anymore. Um, so I think at that point, I had a rheumatologist and we diagnosed it with JRA, started with sulfasalazine, methotrexate. Uh, a few others. I did it in fusion. And then I think we settled on Enbrel. I was on Enbrel for about five years. Um, but by the time we got to that, I think I was 18 years old. So it took about two and a half years of trial and error with different meds to get to the one that worked uh, during that time. Mm -hmm. I was on a heavy dose of Vicodin. I didn't respond well to prednisone. So my memory oh, okay. of, of high school is a little hazy. And I think it's also interesting. It speaks to the American healthcare system of how opiates were kind of treated differently. Like, I don't know if they would have still given a teenager just like a bottle of pills and just been like, figure it out. <laughs> so no, at that, that time, is I not best practice now at, at all. And yeah. because of the opioid epidemic. Um, and yeah. I want to just say for the record, for anyone listening, you know, the, the environmental triggers like that are known for rheumatoid arthritis and like these cluster yeah. of, you know, rheumatic diseases, they do include like a virus. Like a lot of people do get like a, an autoimmune condition after any sort of virus, whether it's the flu or COVID or, you know, um, 
strep. And I had recurrent strep as a kid too. I never thought of that literally until just now. Um, but also it can be from, you know, family and inherited you know, predisposition. And then um, other like, lifestyle risk factors like smoking, people who smoke are more likely to get it. So I always like put these little educational tidbits for people who are listening. But um, oh, for sure. But I, I'm sorry you went through that. Like, like at 15 to go from, you yeah. know, active and healthy to suddenly your knee blowing up. That must have just been rough. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I even mentioned my impacted joints, but I only at that point had it in my right knee. So it really was just very localized, just my right knee. I walked with a cane, um, but it wasn't until uh, 2021 that it spread to both knees, both mm-hmm. ankles. And then I also developed uveitis. So it was a very long time before it really got any worse like the embryo really kept it at bay and then I mm-hmm. I think so embryo was like five years and then I was on Humira for five or six years and for part of that we did it with methotrexate um mm-hmm. and then tried another four or five meds from 2021 or 2020 to 2022 and currently I'm getting inflectra remicade infusions every six weeks and my wow. diagnosis is reactive arthritis was in the spondyloarthritis family. So, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's not one that I've talked a lot about on the, on the, um, podcast or hasn't been too many, haven't been too many people. Sometimes people get reactive arthritis and it goes away. Like it's one of the few ones that yeah. can like completely go away. Unfortunately, in your case, it hasn't. Yeah. Um, but just in case anyone's listening, who's like, oh, is this going to happen to me? It's not guaranteed if you have reactive arthritis, that's going to progress. Um, and so that's a, that's a lot. And were you, did you, um, did you go to college during this time? Yeah. So during my college years, when I was on Emberl, I, you know, enjoyed college to the fullest. I lived a very active lifestyle. I worked out a lot. Um, I drank like a normal college kid. Yeah. <laughs> Not well, you were then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but just to be transparent, um, I definitely yeah. really enjoyed my college years and didn't ever need AIDS and I didn't feel limited by it. And that's uh, sometimes there's this like silent majority. Like if you're on social media, you see a lot of cases of people with more moderate to severe disease. And sometimes it's hard, it's hard for patients to remember that there can be this si- potentially a silent majority, like due to the statistics, like quote unquote, well-controlled with yeah. you know, the disease is well-controlled with methotrexate or with the biologic. That certainly represents my experience with Enbrel specifically. I know that don't, if you're listening, don't necessarily, you know, assume that it will work for you because it worked for us, but I did, yeah, I, I lived a very, quote unquote, normal, you know, 20 something life when I was in Medicaid remission. So what did you yeah. study in college? I forgot. I know, I, I know you a bit. But... So I studied film and then I've been working in film in VFX and animation for about a decade now. So yeah, I know that you're working now. At, okay. That's, that's amazing. I want to talk to you yeah. about that more, but, um, but yeah, it is so right now, so if you could kind of like summarize it in terms of like a graph of like, there was like this initial yeah. mountain of challenge of the, of the step yeah. and the knees blowing up. And then we kind of had a valley of happiness, yeah. right? Even going from Enbrel to Humera, there was only like one or two blips of like, mm-hmm. I felt Enbrel not working with my system very quickly switched over to Humira in less than a month. Obviously there was like some slowdown of like prior authorization with prescriptions, but it was very quickly and Humira worked for me within like six to eight weeks. So Mm -hmm. going, even that little flare was not too bad. At one point, I think in like 2019, I broke a bone in my foot and then that caused a little bit of a flare because there was like trauma yeah. in the leg that my RA was in. And so my body was like, whoa, what's going on here? And I was like, very not surprised by that. Mm-hmm. No, that surprised me when I partially tore my MCL on my left knee when I was playing soccer in 2005. So the two years after I got yeah. diagnosed and I was like, why is my knee blowing up like this? And my rheumatologist had to yeah. be like, okay, I'm going to tell you this like you're a kindergartner. Like, 
because you injured yeah. yourself, like your joints aren't happy. But I was like, is ligament like outside of the joint? I just got confused. But anyway, uh, that took a while. But that was like a localized flare that didn't end up cause, didn't end up transitioning to like a full body flare with just that one. Yeah. yeah. Joint. Yeah. And so um, has it been hard with your kind of flares up and down now to do your job in like film animation or animation? Um, because I'm mostly computer-based, I've been okay. I haven't lost my job or anything like that, but I definitely would say 2021, if I didn't have the employers I had, I probably would have. I think they were really patient with how often I had to go to the doctor and how much rest I needed. Um, and like, probably that's the blessing of just being at the same place for so long and having, yeah, very considerate coworkers who really rallied around me and I think one of my favorite quotes was a coworker and me just being like, I feel so guilty, like having to take a nap midday because I have so much brain fog and I have so much drowsiness. And he was like, do you think yeah. smokers feel guilty for taking their 15 minute breaks a few times a day? Like, why are mm. you making yourself feel worse over taking a break when everyone else gets a coffee and they like, look at Facebook, like, you are being more clear about it, but everyone else is taking that time too. And that kind of clicked for me um, as well. It's like, why, why am I making myself feel guilty for nothing? That's an amazing coworker. <laughs> like, yeah. That's so nice. Yeah. And I think that really helps normalize like needing accommodations. We all need accommodations for different things. It could be that you've had a lot of a stressful day. It could be that you have a chronic illness, you know? Yeah. And I was going to say, so you have in spondyloarthritis, it does tend to affect the spine and the larger joints more than the small. So has have your hands yeah. been very affected? My hands have not been affected at all ever, like knock on every mm. single word, but yes, yeah, so, like knock on wood. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's axial spondyloarthropathy, like reactive axial spondyloarthropathy, because it doesn't I have spondyloarthritis, but it doesn't actually affect my spine. It affects my knees and ankles, which is so funny. Right. So I think that's another one where the term is sometimes hard. So I frequently will still revert to RA since that was one of my original diagnosis. And I had that for 15 years. I only in the past year got a more formal diagnosis of like the specific rheumatic disease I have. Yeah. And I, so I honestly, I had to make charts. Um, for myself when I was learning about because I knew a lot about rheumatoid arthritis but then when I started making room to thrive a program that would really address all the rheumatic diseases not just rheumatoid I had to make these charts for myself to remember like it's because it's confusing yeah because you think spondyloarthritis does tend to affect the spine but it can affect the periphery as well so I'm going to put a link in the chat to this excerpt from the course that I made available on my website. That's like rheumatoid, rheumatic disease 101. And it has a little chart mm-hmm. that's like spondyloarthritis and then peripheral versus axial. And then, so, and the peripheral spondyloarthritis includes psoriatic arthritis. So, I mean, I'm very visual, so I can't just remember it off the top of my head most of the time. I think I send that image to my parents even now to try and find, like explain it to them. Because they were like, what? you have this one. And I was like, well, let's, it's a tree. Like I'm, I'm this, we yes. found out I'm one little branch of it. And I was like, but if you refer to the trunk, you still got the tree. Like you're still, even if you got the branch, it's okay if you don't have the little twig and leaf. Like we're very close. Oh, that's really sweet. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, so looking to the bigger picture of like how your condition has affected your your life and relationships and job and everything. What are some of the things that have like helped you cope with all the ups and downs? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think therapy, pain management, um, just things that allow you to be kind to yourself. Like for me, I've always loved art. It's why I went to film school. It's why I'm in animation. I love sculpting. I love painting. I love arts and crafts. So for me, it's very Zen and Mm -hmm. something that's really hard, which I think a lot of people with these diseases struggle with is sometimes when you need that the most, you need to be able to do something. You need to be able to feel like you can do anything. That's when your body says, no, 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 you can't do art right now. So that's like definitely something that I feel like is still a fight for me. 
um, is, is having my biggest support be something that frequently gets taken away when my disease is the worst. Um, but I'm huge advocate for pool workouts. Fortunately, I live in California and there's literally like a physical therapy aquatic center, like half a mile from me, which I'm like the, the 1%, like in that regards, like, it's so funny. The Elizabeth Taylor Aquatic Center, there's pictures of Elizabeth Taylor all over the wall. She like donated it because she had like a family friend or something that had, you know, a disease where like, you know, water workouts really helped. And so, yeah, thank you, Elizabeth Taylor. (laughs) That's so, no, and and a lot of times people don't even realize what's in their area. You know, I know that in my work as an occupational therapist in pediatrics, there were um, times that I've done, I've seen or worked in places that offered like um, aquatic assisted therapy in like the local YMCA, which there tends to be YMCA's in a lot of neighborhoods and like suburbs and and um, more urban areas. So hopefully people can find something, but even if it's not an official physical therapy session that's yeah. using aquatic therapy, you could also just there's something so like sensory, like wise, comforting about yeah. being in the water for many. When I was like 15, 16, I would do 24 hour fitness, uh, water aerobics classes for elderly because it was the only workout I could do. So it's like me and all these grannies, like just walking around a pool and I'm like, I'm going to be the fastest. I was still not the fastest, but it like, at least I got to work out. I got to move. Everyone was the nicest to me. I think there's a lot of fear about exercise in general and being looking like the odd one out no matter what it is if you're just an average looking person you go to a gym and you approach a machine or if you're disabled and you approach something like there's so much fear of rejection from fitness and it's one of those Mm -hmm. things that's so hard because it's one of the biggest things that can get you even 10 or 20 percent better while you're trying to find those meds like I think each thing is a percentage of your success and your happiness like yes, meds are going to help, but diet and exercise and mental stuff like that's, it's, it's all one big pie. You got to find your pot. Oh, I, I love that. That's very like, it's what the word holistic, like truly means not holistic as in yeah. like, you know, alternative medicine, but holistic as in like looking yeah. at the whole person, you know, and, and, yeah. and when you said, I wanted to make sure you knew, I knew what you meant when you say pain management, did you go to like a pain management clinic or do you mean like knowing your yeah. pain tools? Okay. Yeah. I went in high school. I was in like a group therapy pain management oh, wow. class of just like, especially cause I was on so much Vicodin and I was in so much yeah. chronic pain and I couldn't take prednisone as a teen. It just, it just ruined my hormones. It like, imagine mm. teen angst plus steroids. Like I was fully nightmarish, couldn't stand myself, couldn't stand it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I started pretty early on with like a group therapy, like pain management class. But I think that's, those tools have transitioned into my life permanently. That's, that's amazing. I know people, you know, um, not again, it's a, a lot of people think the only tool I have in my toolbox or the only providers that can help me with rheumatoid arthritis or spondyloarthritis are the rheumatologist and the rheumatology team, but there are so many others. So I'm always trying to like highlight, okay, there's pain management clinics, which they can have like a physiatrist usually is like the doctor in charge, which is like a physical medicine and rehab doctor. And then they also have like counselors, psychologists, sometimes occupational and physical therapists. So um, and, and people often ask me with therapy, therapy, like counseling, mental health therapy, people will ask me like, what are some tips for finding a good fit with a therapist? Cause there's people who've tried therapy and didn't like their, they just didn't click with their therapist. So what is, yeah. do you have any tips for that? I, sorry, I didn't prepare you with that question, but I just thought. Of it oh now. my God. No, I would say, keep looking. Don't ever settle for therapists that does not understand you. When I first moved to LA, I ended like one of the first people that like finally responded because you have to like cold call over and over to get a therapist. Mm. It is very difficult. I tried, I think Beyond Health, the online one, it didn't work for me. It is definitely a resource that is there for people, especially if you aren't in a city where you can keep trying different people. But I ended up with this woman in Beverly Hills that was so wealthy, had no sense of stuff outside 
kind of her little bubble that it was yeah. it was uncomfortable to talk to her like I just felt like mm-hmm. nothing I was saying about you know financially struggling moving here feeling alone being in pain uh was registering in any way um mm-hmm. and now I have a therapist who I go to I would say once a year and I call it a tune-up mm-hmm. I literally she is yeah. the sweetest lady she has two dogs she loves her daughter and her granddaughter and most of the time it's that I'm being too hard on myself. And I remember once I went to her and it was when I, in 2021, when like my health had been so bad for so long, I'd gained 25 pounds on zone. I couldn't walk. Mm. I had a walker. Um, I, I felt like I was letting my husband down by not being able to like be, be a whole person for him either. And, you know, went and talked to her and she's just like, no, you're going through a lot. You're allowed to be sad. And I think it's so funny how we really try and be like, well, how do I get out of feeling sad? It's just like, sometimes you just need to let yourself mourn the fact that your life is really difficult right now. And that some of it is temporary. Um, But yeah. Truer words have never been spoken. Like, I feel like as you were saying that, I was just thinking like, that's probably the number one lesson I learned is like, you're allowed to be sad. Like, the game isn't to go to therapy so you can learn how to control your emotions so you only feel happy and never feel sad. Like, that is not realistic. That's not what being a human is. Like, yeah. and even you think, we're like, well, aren't there like Zen Buddhists out there who are just like super peaceful and Zen all the time? But it's like, even them, it's like the whole point is that you're actually, as far as I understand it, I'm obviously not like some sort of Zen master myself, but is that it's about acknowledging and being present with everything that you're feeling you know, and not trying to control it and change it. So yeah, that, that was a huge mind shift for, for me in therapy. Um, so I, I just love that. Yeah. You're allowed to be set. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. It's like inside out. Then everything comes back to the movie inside out, which I think represents that so well. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of animation, <laughs> I don't know if, I don't know, you're so in the animated world. Maybe, maybe there's like opinions within, within the, uh, experts oh no that was a good one I definitely cried (laughs) yeah yeah what's funny is I didn't cry within the ding bong part when everyone else cried I think I I just more cried just uh, I think I it was so sad like how her parents were not um attuned to her emotions at parts and I just I felt that 11 year old feeling and I was anyway um but um you mentioned you know you mentioned going to groups in the pain management clinic. Um, if you wanted to share anything, I, I always like, you know, spreading the word about the room to thrive group and like what people find helpful about that, if you want to share. Um, it definitely exposed me to different tools to use. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I knew like my little bubble of things, but it, mm-hmm. it encouraged me to go back to physical therapy. Cause I was like, mm. oh, I have it like medically handled now. Like I finally found a med that's working. I'll be able to walk again. And I wasn't really doing that quickly. And then I, it kind of room to thrive made me ask for more help in the right places. Like mm-hmm. I already had the wheelchair. I had the walker, I had the cane, I had some leg compression stuff but allowed me to be like what if we get a better can opener like what if Mm. we get a thing in the kitchen that I can stand on where it doesn't hurt my feet as much like there were so many smaller things that I have in my house now that I wouldn't have considered something that would have actually been like made my life better before right yeah I, I, agree. I mean, that's totally, you're speaking my language, you know, it's OT, yeah. we're all about the, the gadgets and those, those small little changes that really add up in your, in your yeah. day, you know? And I, I always, I know it sounds corny to say, but like, I always learn something from the people in the group, not just the emotional support and the connecting and the way people like have framed their experiences around that. But also I learned just people's own adaptations and tips. So like I put my laundry in like this rolling grocery thing you know that you could use for your laundry it's like oh I didn't even think of that you know so I think there's this group wisdom that that is is really um exciting for me to see at least 
And, and it helps as we are talking about these gadgets and these daily living, like quality of life tools, it helps destigmatize them, right? Yeah. You're like, oh, Stella's like young and hip. She's using these. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to, I think you also framed one, one of the chapters was about like relationships with like, you know, family, acquaintances, friends. And that also helped me deal with some of the the rejection you eventually feel with being disabled is that some people aren't going to invite you to the thing because they know you can't come or they don't want to see you leave early because you can't stay the whole time. And like some people in your life are just going to be more accepting of it than others. And some friends are there for you in the good times and some are there for the bad times. And it's okay that some of that's different. Um, It was, it was nice to hear other people feel that rejection because sometimes you feel so alone in it you're like oh it's me no one likes me but it really is unfortunately sometimes a factor of your disease and your status and where you're at and those things are fluid they always change wow yeah that's that's so true that's so true it feels personal to you when it's happening to you because it's in the context of your personal relationship to that person like it's yeah. right connecting you to them but then when you go into the group and you see that Every single person in the group, almost without a fault, has had somebody who no longer is able to or no longer wants to be there for them. They can't handle it or they don't know how to or they're oblivious. And and, um, then you realize, oh, this is not a me thing. This is like a them thing or like a society thing, like the ableist society or, um, yeah, there's, there's like there's levels. There's like the obliviousness on one hand or the lack of understanding. And then there's the outright, like, I'm actually going to try not to understand you at all. And I'm going to blame this on you. And you just failed to like think positive or like Stella just failed to like do it all naturally. And like, I don't like, I'm not gonna support her because she's not doing it right. You know, there's anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not about it's not about you. Yeah. Oh, that's so, that's so important. I had it both sides. I had some people, I I have some friends that are actually find it easier. It feels like some people are, find it easier to be there for me if things are going poorly. Cause it's like, I know what to do. (laughs) And then when things are going well, they're like, I'm jealous or, you know, it's it's, it's kind of, anyway, kind of interesting how there's fair weather friends. And then there's foul weather friends I guess you would say yeah no I definitely have that there's some people that are just like especially because I was having such a bad flare during COVID there were some friends that just were very cognizant they were like hey my mom got sick and I saw her yesterday I'm gonna cancel plans today and I was like do do that thank you like I would rather yeah 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 that's so true Um, that's so true yeah and the same person then can seem flaky when you feel better it's you know it's all perception too yeah I was just thinking about how some people's love language is also like worrying about you you know to where you're like it's fine I'm fine now like or like I'm I'm coping as best I can like you know so yeah there's such complexity to relationships um and that's yeah I'm glad that the room room to thrive we definitely spend a lot of time in that section of like the pre-recorded course and then the the support group like talking through you know um how things are going in and how can we problem solve you know specific issues and it's like that zone of control like what can I control what can I not control and then there's always that kind of messy gray area overlap of like zone of I call it the zone of partial control (laughs) when you're like I can control how I say something which may influence the other person right but I can't control their willingness to understand it um yeah so Part of also why I like Room to Thrive is I also I like being able to share some of the things I've learned over the past 15 years, like or 16, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like similar to you, I've had it for half my life. So there is like a certain amount of like just gross knowledge that you gain Mm -hmm. of just figuring out the system 
of getting care as well. And so for me, being able to help others and share some of that is so nice. It doesn't, it doesn't just end with me. That's so true. And I, I, people will often ask, well, is this just for newly diagnosed people? Or like, why don't you have one group for newly diagnosed and one for like the veterans, you know? And I do even have like an FAQ on the website about that. And one of the reasons, first of all, initially it was just grassroots just starting out. And I was like, I don't have enough people interested in this to like make five groups, you know, <laughs> uh, like, you know, a rheumatoid group, an axial spondyloarthritis group, a psoriatic group, like we're all together. Um, but then as I've done the groups with like people who are, you know, maybe there's a 60 year old person who's been diagnosed for two years. And then there's a 30 year old person who's had it for 15 years. And then there's, so it's all different ages, like of life. And stages of life and diagnoses that are within this kind of umbrella of rheumatic disease, um, or like chronic pain condition. Um, it's like, it has the diversity of that has made it so that people get a lot out of it. Like it's it, the, the newly diagnosed might hear something from their rheumatologist. that's like hot off the press or like the new standard of care that maybe those of us who've had it, 15, 20 years, our rheumatologists maybe aren't up to date with that or forgot to tell us, you know, um, but, but more to what you said, it's also the therapeutic benefit of being able to share your, uh, take your pain and turn it into like someone else's game. <laughs> yeah. so, again, corny as that sounds, but um, you say, okay, like, hey, here's, you know, here's how I learned to navigate insurance. Here's what I, you know, tips along the way. So um, I love that. And I think I, I definitely, this is just an observation, but really consistent across the rheumatic disease communities that I've been a part of online and in person is that there are a lot of people in this disease population that are helpers that like identify if I want to be the helper and it's hard for them to adjust to being the one who's helped, you know, um, on the yeah. receiving end. So um, being able to help others within the group is therapeutic. If you have ever felt completely lost or utterly alone while trying to navigate real life with rheumatic disease, listen up. I am here for you. I created an educational program to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported and connected in a matter of weeks. And it's called Room to Thrive. After earning a master's in occupational therapy and completing hundreds of hours of additional training, I created a step-by-step -step guide to help you truly thrive with rheumatic disease. This is the only program I know of that's designed to improve quality of life for people living with inflammatory autoimmune forms of arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, Sjogren's disease, and more. During the self-paced lessons, you'll learn how to manage pain and fatigue, cope with stress, navigate relationships, and continue doing the things that matter to you and bring you joy. The goal is really to help you improve your quality of life and learn how to thrive with your rheumatic disease right now, rather than waiting for a distant day when it might be cured or healed. I really created the down-to-earth, practical, heartfelt resource I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed at age 20. If you want even more in-depth support, you can join the 12-week Room to Thrive virtual support group where you'll be surrounded by people who actually get what you're going through, people who will provide the encouragement, validation, and support that you deserve. Each group is expertly moderated, so you don't have to worry about the kind of misinformation that spreads like wildfire in the free-for-all social media groups. If you're on the fence, don't just take my word for it. Here's what Katie had to say in March 2023. I was lost and overwhelmed with my RA diagnosis. It felt overwhelming to know what to read, what to do, how to spend my energy trying to research on the internet. Room to Thrive did that for me. It's been like getting a crash course in my diagnosis along with a community who gets it. To see all the details, including the dates for the next support groups, go to the link in the show notes or bit.ly slash thrive room with a capital T in capital R. You can also just email me anytime at info at myarthritislife.net. And don't delay if you're interested because each group is capped at 16 people or less in order to make a small, intimate group atmosphere. Thanks so much for your time. And I can't wait to get started with the next groups 
And I can't wait for those of you who are interested in the self-paced option to go ahead and join that at any time. Bye-bye for now. Um, and one of the other things that uh, we talked about before starting to record is like your journey towards, you know, using your daily living aids or using a cane without shame. So, you know, or maybe a gloves, things like that. I would love to just hear your perspective on that. I really didn't have a choice in using a cane when I was a teen. Like there was, I didn't have a driver's license because I wasn't of age. And so I had to take the bus and then like walk a mile each way. Like my parents worked. And so when I couldn't do that, you, you have to figure out a way to do it. So yeah, early on using a cane was really important. And I didn't lie about it. I didn't say I'd broken something. I said I had a bad knee because I knew I learned pretty quickly just saying I had arthritis. People just respond. My grandma has arthritis, which everyone has experienced. Um, I called gimpy. I called limp. You know, I got got called cripple. You get teased. You're a teen. Um, But ultimately, you get better care. And people are more aware of like, people would let me sit in the disabled section of the bus if I had a cane. And if I didn't, they would think I was a punk teen trying to like, you know, stop an old lady from sitting down. You look, even you just look selfish because people don't know, they can't see. And so having an aid is a visible marker for people um, that they do respond to. It's unfortunate that it needs to be that way. Like, I mean, obviously I have a handicap placard for my car now. Um, but I am still always wary of when I use it. Um, I just, I know I look young and capable. Um, so it's always hard for people to believe that you're not. Um, but yeah, I've used a cane. I definitely use like compression leg things, even, like when I didn't use the cane, because basically I, when my knee gets bad, it's like a hundred to 120 milliliters of fluid. It's ginormous. Whoa. So I can't say how big it is. Um, oh so having a compression knee thing basically keeps my kneecap in place because it will basically float out. It is not attached to a thing in the way your normal knee is. Um, so yeah, but I don't do, I learned that I couldn't do a pull-up one pretty quickly because of how big my knee got. So I have like, there's like four straps and metal. There's like so many different versions of like different leg braces I have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the walker was almost harder for me to accept than the cane because the cane I'd been using for so long. And I put stickers on it and I have a mermaid one and I have a sparkly one. Mm-hmm. Like I want it. It's an accessory. It's another earring. It's another necklace. Uh, when yeah. I use my eight, I want it to look like me still. I don't want it to look like, why is she have that? Um, but yeah. Oh, can you hear the vacuum? Uh, no, no. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right, no. let me know if it gets bad or you stop being able to hear me. <laughs> oh, perfect, perfect, no worries. Um, yeah, I I love that idea of like kind of reclaiming the aid. I just put on my purple gloves because it was just sitting here. I just, I kind of put them on and off as needed for the day because it's not a constant for me. It's actually worse on the morning. So, which is the typical pattern for RA. But um, yeah, but one thing I got from uh, one of the people in our group was BioFreeze. Yeah, twins, amazing. Twins. Oh, one sec. My door opened. I'm going to yeah. grab it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries. So um, yeah, wanting it to look like an accessory is a total is a wonderful way to reclaim it. Um, yeah. And I think something that we do talk about like in the group a lot that honestly I hadn't even heard of I think until 2020 maybe when I was like living my whole life on social media, <laughs> all my all of my social participation was virtual. Um, it was the idea of like ableism and internalized ableism. So like ableism is like discrimination against people with disabilities, just like racism is discrimination, you know, based on race or ethnicity. And then internalized ableism is when you grow up thinking that people who have a disability are inherently like less than or weaker or worse. And um, you internalize that idea and you think of yourself as worse if you need to use one of these things as opposed to just thinking of it like this is the classic example it's like it's like 
you don't look at somebody with glasses and think like, oh, they're so weak because their eyes don't work perfectly, right? But yeah, there's a stigma around all the other kind of aids and gadgets. Or there's this very weird societal like policing that can go on where they're like, well, you parked in the handi- quote unquote handicapped spot, but you can walk. Yeah. It's like, it's not the immobilized spot. It's like the disability spot you know, um, yeah. but it's like good intentions gone awry because they're trying to protect it for like the truly disabled person uh, without recognizing invisible conditions. So yeah, I think feel, I think a lot of times people have a hard time going through that progression of like confronting their internalized ableism on their own, but when they're in a group setting and seeing other people kind of think through it and and, re- and come to those realizations, it's like, okay, I get it now, you know? Yeah, and even, like, once I had a walker, I found out ways to, like, trick it out. Like, I added um, a little cup holder, which, like, you can add to a bike, basically. Um, and then, oh, that's awesome. yeah, uh, and that was really handy because, like, I just, you know, it's like waking up in the night and wanting to get yourself a cup from the kitchen, and you can't do it. like. Being able to help myself in even small ways just made such a huge difference in my quality of life at home. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. And yeah, if anyone's on the fence right now, like, oh, I'm worried. Like, first of all, it's the same thing. I'll tell them the same thing as I do in the group about friends and family not getting it. Like, there are, when people are like, well, what if people look at me weird? They probably will. Like, some people will look at you weird. Like, they just will because humans are how they are you know so go into it with that radical acceptance and knowing that you know I'd rather be comfortable and function better while using mobility aid even if people are looking at me weird than suffer unnecessarily because I'm so worried about people looking at me you know what I mean and especially with those aids you're preventing future damage like yeah walking on that leg that has a knee floating you're just going to get bones rubbing together you're going to hurt yourself more and then like the risks are so much higher like just be embarrassed like be a little self-conscious and you get over it pretty quickly knowing that if if you walk a little bit weirder now and it's more visible now you'll be able to walk better later like a lot of what I do is protect so that I can still explore and I can still do stuff like you know, later on in life and I'm not fully immobilized, like by my legs and stuff. Yeah. It's really, yeah. Using living daily living, you know, aids, even in the, in the small examples, like a kitchen life hack device for me, for my hands would be like, you know, the electronic can opener, the under counter jar opener. And it's like those little modifications instead of forcing my hand around the jar and opening it, I can use the under counter jar opener. Like those little changes every day are, are reducing the wear and tear on those tiny little joints that can be kind of fragile at times um, when you have a rheumatic disease. So yeah, it's like there's sometimes so few things we actually can control in our lives with these diseases that's like control what you can and you're using these aids is, is something you can control. Um, if you have access to them, you know, and, and they can work for you. So uh, some people, they don't have access. It's, it's unfortunately like just, you know, these things aren't covered by insurance sometimes. Um, unfortunately, I just was about to make like a ugh sound. <laughs> Anytime I hear the word insurance, I'm just like, ugh. Um, but another thing that um, I, I would love to hear your take on is like tips for advocating for yourself. Cause I know that is something that for many of us, takes many years to become a good self-advocate. What are some of your tips for that? Um, go in with a buddy or a list written down. Brain fog when you're having your flare is so real that I'll know I have a bunch of things I need to get through. And I will get in that doctor's office and I'll have 20 minutes and I'll get through one. Um, so definitely having my husband, having a list of notes written down, being like, you know, I was eating this and it isn't going well, or like, is it the pills you put me on? Like what, even some of those smaller things that don't seem necessarily specific to the disease can be side effects and taking pictures of yourself and the state you're in 
Sometimes a flare is a moment. It's five days, it's nine days, and you don't see your rheumatologist for so long that then you go in, they look at your joints, you look great, and then you leave. So mm-hmm. coming in with as much evidence as possible to back up your claims is like, it's a weird messed up thing to say, but it's very true. No, um, I, I wanted to just totally second that. And you can even take a video. So something that can help is if you have a lot of stiffness in the morning, you can take a video. I know I'm using the hands as an example of your range of motion. So look, this is as far as I can go, like comfortably and kind of push it maybe a little further. And that's actually, I really wish I had taken more pictures and videos in the first few years of my condition, because I, then I would have them to refer back to now. I actually have to like find these incidental pictures to look at my like toes because I do have like deformities on my right, two of my right toes that are like very, very visible. Uh, so, so it's always funny when people are like, I don't see any deformities. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not like zooming in on my knees or my, my toes. Um, my knees are not, don't have any, but um, and my fingers do, but it's people, it's hard for the lay person to like see the subtle differences. The point being, especially earlier on, even if you're doing well, have those pictures for yourself to refer back to and your doctor and team. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, sometimes like, I mean, my chart is great with communication. Now I have that through my doctor where like we can direct message each other. If you're not receiving the care or responses in the time you need, do more. Like they're not going to remember if, if you wrote them a week and a half ago and you never heard back, someone dropped the ball. It's They're not going to get to you. And I think sometimes I would just be too polite and I would sit and wait in pain for so long that by the time I saw the doctor, I was like, oh, I've been in a really bad place for a long time. Or like I was on sulfasalazine. It was like making me vomit. Like it was, I was having a terrible reaction to it, but I didn't have my scheduled follow-up for so long. And then again, this is, I was 15 years old. I was just like, oh, well, this is the only med. And this is just what I have to do to hopefully treat it. And we have to try it for nine weeks. So I waited the nine weeks of vomiting almost every day oh until my I God. projectile. And then I was like, oh, by the way, like, I, I don't know if it's sitting well with me. And the doctor was like, how could you have not told me? And again, I was a kid. I just wasn't I thought that was my only answer and I didn't think it would make a difference, which is the goofiest thing in the world. Um, whereas now like know. the second thing, I'm like um, over communicative. No, that is a beautiful story. And I think it is also hard because sometimes like there are certain medications that you may have these bad side effects just for that like initial couple weeks while your body is like calibrating to them. And they go away, but other ones they won't. So yeah, communicating to your team and messaging them, um, especially when you're not doing well, is is anyway. Sorry, just highlighting. That's that's a great example. I'm sorry you suffered for so long. I'm such a rule follower. I do the exact same way. It'd be like, okay, well, yeah. they said come back in nine weeks. Like it wouldn't even occur to me to be like, we could change that to five weeks. You know, if it's going bad. Um, but definitely, I. Everyone is different. Like it was funny listening to Katie's because her mental state with it is completely opposite to mine. I really like to know what's our next backup. I want to know what Mm -hmm. are we doing now and what happens when it doesn't work. But that's because I'm at step nine of it not working. You know, I want to know if if what the next plan is, what are like, I want to have it in our back pocket of being like, all right, let's shoot off the next prescription. Um, because what I've, in my experience, I've known so quickly when it's working, but again, I think it's just because the measurement of how severe my joints are is so huge and visible compared to Mm -hmm. hands and other ones where it's, you know, you're in pain and like, depending on your hand, you can see it more, you can see it less. Um, yeah, 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 again, yeah. I have such a dramatic version of it. Like my body's like, let's go over the top. So. <laughs> no, I, I, that is so important. Knowing yourself, knowing how you, yeah, whether you want to know, like, I definitely like to see a full roadmap at once. Like, you know, I talked to my rheumatologist because it's like, if this and that, there is like a chart from the American College of Rheumatology of the general like evidence-based guidelines for like progressing through medications for rheumatoid arthritis. 
There's also one for psoriatic and, ax and axial spondyl arthritis. But, you know, um, so you have like, if just you start with a conventional DMARD, conventional disease modifying anti-rheumatic drugs like methotrexate or sulfasalazine or Plaquenil, if that works, great. If that doesn't work, you add a biologic or you add another DMARD, like you add, then you add the, then you can do a triple therapy or you can then add the biologic depending on how severely you presented all the stuff. And it's like, then you try a TNF inhibitor. That's, so I went through that whole progression. So, but the further you go down it, the less evidence there is because these biologics, a lot of them have only been out for the last like 10 years or 20 years. So we're like, yeah. we're getting to the end of the available data, right? <laughs> so I, yeah. I'm racing to the clock. Um, and so, but I'm like, okay, so if Zel, like Zelgens was, is the first JAK inhibitor I've been on, so if that doesn't work, do I try another JAK inhibitor or do I circle back to a TNF inhibitor? Because I never tried Humira. Like, it's just, yeah, I want to know the roadmap. Other people are like, don't tell me because it overwhelms me, you know? Yeah. Um, I also um, just remembered I'm on Lumina <laughs> too. I forgot. You're on what? I'm on, I have my infusion and I'm on leflunamide. I just totally forgot about leflunamide oh, yeah. up until now. Yeah, oh. I'm on that one too. It's so hard to condense your medical history. Yeah. I truly appreciate that. You sent me some notes beforehand and I was like, I, that's a lot of, again, emotional and cognitive labor that goes into like sharing your stories. So thank you. And I think the other thing that you mentioned to me beforehand is like knowing your rights, you know, um, as a perspective, yeah. like as an American with a disability, would you want to share a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of protections in California for disabled individuals, um, but there's um, a document, I, I can look it up afterwards. I have it in my little pile over here. Basically, I went to my doctor and I said, when, when I knew I was going to have to do the infusions, because obviously Humira, Enbrel, all those self-injectors you can do at home, I get a little tired on the weekends, but it never mm -hmm. took time out of the day. Doing an infusion, I'd have to take a half day at least. Yeah. So I got a letter from my doctor that's like um, supplied by the government that basically says, you know, this person's disabled, they need this treatment, they also may need physical therapy, like you can't fire them because these are their rights and these are the things they need to do. And yeah. fortunately, I feel like my work was like, you really didn't need to do that. But a lot of works you do. And yeah. I think yeah. to protect yourself and say, hey, I'm going to need this time, even if it's not something as dramatic as an infusion, even if you're just like, hey, to get back up to being able to type, I need to go to a PT and OT twice a week. And mm -hmm. that's going to be two hours a week get that letter. Um, and again, I'll Google what the exact government name of it is. Um, but just protect yourself. Um, so did you have to take, because when I was on Remicade, I would just use my sick time for those four hours. But did you not have to even use your sick time for that? I use my sick time. I mostly am able to make up time throughout the week. I kind of work like nine mm. hours a day and then like five hours on Friday or something. I just I see, am able yeah. to do it on Fridays, which is really nice. Um, but there's times where like I had a COVID scare, like the person sitting next to me had COVID. So I had to test and delay and it was like midweek. Right. Sick time, but I also because I'm immunocompromised, I know I'm gonna end up in the ER like once a year for something stupid. Mm. Like someone else oh. is gonna get a cold, and I'm gonna end up with um, bloody murder, <laughs> whatever it is. Oh no! <laughs> so I kind of like banking my sick time for my severe illness, um, just because. Yeah, 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 yeah. I it just does happen, and I got my tonsils yeah. removed. I was getting staph infections in my tonsils mm -hmm. over oh, and yeah. over again. And like, that's yeah. just not a good look. Um, yeah. Again, like I've just had a lot of throat stuff, like the staph infections in my tonsils, the, the strep throat, like definitely has been a kicker. And what was crazy is I got a cold recently and I, it ended up going away in about five days. And my husband ended up having to get antibiotics for like a severe tonsillitis. So we had the same thing. And finally mm. it didn't kick off a flare. I didn't get severely sick. Like it was the first time that like I, I had a, a cough and cold and throat thing and I didn't end up in going to the, to see a doctor about it. So that was a serious blessing. And That's I'm really exciting. glad I had that. Me. Yeah. 
That's huge. And yeah, you know, not, not everyone gets totally, you know, as, as severely sick as often we are all a little different. Like I've only ever been to the ER once and it was for something that wasn't re directly related, you know, to my RA, it was like a very strange, like sudden um, heart palpitation thing that felt like I just felt like my heart like literally leapt out of my chest. It was so scary that I was like, this is not normal. Like, this is just not. So I went in and they were, of course, like, this is just a rant. Like, you're fine. Like, but, um, but, but I do, I do get the gunk that goes around and it takes me a little longer. And I go to urgent care more probably than the average person to get those diagnoses of like, I got the flu a few years ago before COVID and, you know, um, stuff like that. But, but, um, but yeah, knowing your rights, you know, and, and each country is different. Each state is a little bit different. Um, is is super important because otherwise you'll end up doing that thing, that same thing you talked about with like suffering with like you're throwing up with self-salazine, like people end up suffering thinking, well, I can't ask for accommodation and they don't realize, oh, you can't actually, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. And one thing is, so we, oh, I, yeah, one more thing. they put me on like methotrexate at one point and that upset my stomach too. And I dealt with that for a while. And then I was like, by the way, like it really messes with my like digestion. And they were like, oh, there's an injectable. And I was like, how would I have known there was an injectable? Um, I know it's, it's totally so fun. funny. They don't, because it's so common to have GI upset with the pills. I sometimes wonder why don't they just put everyone on an injection? But the problem is so many people don't like injections. I have a needle phobia, but I think that I'm, that's my theory. I don't know why there's some other reason. But, um, but yeah, if you are listening to this and you have a lot of like tummy upset with, um, with oral methotrexate, that that's a, the easy fix is to switch for, for any people, the easy fix is to switch to the injection. It's there's like lots of scientific evidence that it's associated with less GI upset. And I've <sighs> switched rheumatologists so many times and methotrexate's always like the first line of defense. And I, I've talked with my parents and they're like, why do they keep recommending it? And I had to explain to them that like 60% of people that have this disease, according to arthritis.org, are treating mm -hmm. with methotrexate. So the reason they do it is yeah. it's not, it's not like the first line of defense. It's the most successful one. Like, yes, yes. And 50% of those do well with methotrexate monotherapy, which means that's the only thing they're taking. You know, yeah. so I saw that on um, a 2019, I'll put this in the, in the show notes too, in the 2019 um, uh, rheumatoid arthritis article um, by Dr. Jeff Sparks, who's a really wonderful rheumatologist in Boston. And it's just like, oh my gosh, 50% are just on methotrexate. And, and the re and the fact that they're only on methotrexate is kind of implies that they're, um, like that is sufficient, right? Because one of the things rheumatologists want to do is make sure that you're not over medicated because these are immunosuppressive. Um, so yeah, that's, yeah. Sometimes it can be hard to, to know those larger statistics until you like obsess over the condition like I have. <laughs> but um, I'm so appreciative of your time and I want to get to the rapid fire questions cool. now, which is, um, yeah, like, You've already given so many gems and like words of wisdom, but is there anything else that you would want to say to like a newly diagnosed patient specifically? Don't think that the first one is going to work. There's like so many backups and treat yourself with kindness. Things are going to change. Um, I think those are definitely the biggest ones is, uh, you know, advocacy and, um, yeah, like they'll, they'll give you methotrexate. They'll recommend a bunch of different things, but if that doesn't work or if it's only doing 80%, like always say something. Cause they're like, I feel like there's always no question in the rheumatic community of how well treated am I? Is this treating me enough? Yeah. Yes. My RV, but I have an allergic reaction at the injection site. Like, be vocal about those things because there are always other options, and it shouldn't be a choice of like the degree of pain. The goal should always be no pain. Not that that's always possible, but I think right. keep keep asking questions until you you get to that no or very little pain. It shouldn't be 
shifting the pain to a different pain. Yeah, I mean, yes, that's a conversation that's super good to have with your provider because yes, for the majority of patients, they're trying to get you to remission with no, no symptoms, no objective signs or subjective, but you may be in that 20% of people who have like what's called quote unquote difficult to treat RA, taking a note as we're talking, posting up, um, but, um, and those people may not realistically get to the full remission, but you're still trying to get to as close to remission and close to no pain as, as possible. Um, do you have a favorite arthritis gadget or tool in your toolbox? Um, I feel like I talked about my favorites, which is definitely like the, the, oh, oh my God. No, my favorite is, um, I have like ice packs that are knee shaped. Oh yeah. Uh, oh. And those were great because when I was having a real flare, my knees were like a hundred something degrees. Like they were on fire. And oh. so it's literally an ice pack in the shape of a little knee wrap. And you wrap, I think it's probably for post-surgeries and other stuff like that. And that was golden. Amazing. Do you have a favorite book or movie or show you've been watching recently? Um, I've been totally absorbed with Yellow Jackets. It's a Showtime show, but I, yes. I haven't finished it. And it's uh, so I don't want spoilers, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it. It's a bunch I of girls stuck in the woods. <laughs> so yeah, they have a playing yeah. It's yeah. a lot of amazing actresses in that. So um, with someone, Melanie Linsky from uh, New Zealand, she's such a, like, she's just amazing in everything she's in. So thank you for reminding me. That's on my, I have a little notes app um, list of like shows to start watching. We just started watching um, The Diplomat, which is like Carrie Russell. Okay, it, it's really good. It's really, it reminds me of The West Wing, which is one of my favorite shows. Very fast-paced dialogue. The woman that is the creator of the show used to work on The West Wing. So that's probably why. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. That's yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite mantra or like inspirational saying for when things are hard? Oh my God, I definitely wrote it down to you. And now, oh, oh let me just okay. pull it up. Did I put it in the right spot? Wait, where is it? One is second. it like there's always another option maybe? Or? Yeah, I think it might've been, there's always another option, but I had another one written for myself that I keep on my computer in a little note section whenever I'm stressed. And that one's really helpful. Oh, this is my favorite of all time, which is just general life for everybody. Um, mm -hmm. And it's don't cater to other people's moment of weakness. Oh, I've never heard that. Yeah. Ooh, I love and that. I think it's really hard to not get caught up in what other people think of you, how they're projecting their feelings on your body. Um, so yeah, don't cater to other people's moments of weakness. If if they're mad about your situation, that is, is not you to bend down to their level. Mm, I love that. I love that. Um, what's something that's bringing you joy right now? Um, so my knees are doing pretty well. So I'm able to do like a ceramics class on the wheel again. And that's something that I've just, it's been a, a love and passion my whole life. Um, but it's definitely something that's a lot harder when I can't bend my knees. Um, but yeah, I'm entering a lot more art into my life again, which brings me just so much happiness. Oh, I've never done, I would never like done that but I want to try <laughs> you're inspiring me it does seem potentially hard on the on the fingers but I wonder if I could I, this this action where you cup it from the outside is doable but the this, inside yeah that's hard. I might need to use a tool for that I think I did yeah um last one of the rapid fire what does it mean to you to thrive with chronic illness the hard one um I think it's just saying yes to things in life, um, you know, saying yes, even when it's hard, go, going out to the museum or hanging out in a park. And I think 
thriving with your disease is always looking for something to bring you happiness because life is going to be a little bit harder. I love that. It really, it's, it's it congruent with the Arthritis Foundation's kind of overall message of like live yes. Like when I first came up to live yes, I was like, yes, yes. What does that mean? But then I realized, yeah, they're saying, saying yes to yes to life, yes to experiences instead of having to say no, which I love, I, I resonate with that for sure. And is there anything else you want to share with the listeners before we wrap up? Um, let yourself be in the world. Don't feel like you need to hide. I feel like the being disabled, you tend to become more of a hermit. You tend to go out less. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to not see disabled people because of perception. And I think we need to just be out in the world more and people see us more. Cause ultimately when you interact with a little kid, they do not care. A five-year-old is yeah. just going to look at you and think that your rollator is like a hot car. Um, it is the weird perception and judgment of other adults that you're absorbing. So I think that's my biggest yeah. thing is knowing that you can belong, get, get the like handicap accessible chairs in the movie theater. Like don't try and go up a bunch of stairs. Like when you get concert tickets, there is accessible seating and it's usually a folding chair where you can stretch your legs out more. Like learning about different parks that had benches that had different seating arrangements. Like I did so much research and I found so many things I could do because I really felt like, oh my God, I can't walk my dog. I can't do this. You start thinking in this can't, can't, can't. And it was a lot more fun to start exploring things of what you can do. I, I love that. Uh, that's, that's a beautiful point to end on. Um, where can people find you on social media if they want to connect? Is that public for you? I just realized I should have asked that Think before. Lines private because I'm a little weirdo okay. um, um no no it's everyone like I don't know <laughs> oh no then never never mind she's a mysterious lady of the night and you can't find her <laughs> she only exists on the podcast <laughs> that's okay that's okay sorry I usually ask that beforehand um but so this this is so great thank you I like know that there's so many people that are going to relate to this episode so i super appreciate it and um thanks again and bye bye for now thanks cheryl we'll air thank you so much for listening to another episode of the arthritis life podcast this episode is brought to you by room to thrive an educational program i created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident supported and connected in a matter of weeks you can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.